Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Think It Through podcast. The podcast that states there is no truth until you decide what truth is, and we're here to help you think it through. On today's show, I would like to cover whether or not you're sending your kids back to school, or have you always homeschooled, or are you thinking about doing online? Also, the controversy around these mail-in ballots and the attack on the United States Postal Service at large. And our thought process for today, if voting matters and why I believe local voting is best. Stick around for today's show and join me so that we can think it through. Welcome back, everybody, to the Think It Through podcast, the podcast that states there is no truth until you decide what truth is. So let's jump into today's topics. As a mom, I figured it's only right to talk about it because I have had to make some changes due to what's going on with this uh, coronavirus, if it's real, if it's not real doesn't really matter to me but the peripheral circumstances around it such as schooling what am I going to do with a child who has who's 10 by the way who has up until this point in time has been accustomed to getting ready to go back to public school I am the mother of a fourth grader you would be entering fourth grade when school officially starts at the end of this month this is really what i've been focusing on more so than of the coronavirus and if you stick along with this podcast um you'll see that we're going to talk about a whole bunch of topics and i'm going to have you guys jump down some rabbit holes with me but today i want to keep it light and keep it on the surface But uh, rather than focusing on the cause of the coronavirus and all this other stuff, my main concern was my child. What is my child and my nieces and nephews, what are they going to do in the fall? The fall is fast approaching and school season is like literally a couple of weeks away for a majority of us. Um... I was really perplexed because I have been one who always, before my son got to school, I was someone who always thought that I would homeschool. This is something that I wanted to do, but given my circumstances, I wasn't in a position to. Time just wasn't enough. And I feel as though if you're not accustomed to having a set plan and a set time schedule like if you're really good with time management and you you can get into the flow of homeschooling it's beneficial to you if you are in a single family household and you work outside of the household that can be a little tricky to navigate especially um 
depending on the needs of your child. Some children don't need a lot of supervision. And most of these babies, they're very smart. But most of our children have different needs. And they are at a point where when you teach them, it's not a one size fits all. You have children who are special needs, who are handicapped or disabled, and they need um, adult supervision a majority of the time. And if you work outside of the household, how does that look for you? So a lot of us parents are accustomed to sending our children to school. Now, I had this discussion with my sister who is married and she has two beautiful um, sons and they're teenagers and they have been homeschooled since they were allowed to go to school. My sister has done a wonderful job with my two nephews. They know three languages, they play instruments and all of this was done. Uh, one, because she has support, shout out to my brother-in-law. Um, and two, besides being a housewife and mothering, just being just a wonderful attribute that she has when it comes to my nephews she'll drop everything and do it and they have a wonderful time management system that works for her and for their household and she had she was someone who who championed me and cheerleaded me sis you gotta homeschool try homeschooling um, because she knows how I feel about the world and how I feel about society and she was like, it's ter- in terms of control and what your child is seeing and experience, you are there to double down, reinforce, reconstruct, or completely um, set your own foundation. And she was someone who came to me when my son was of school age, which was five years ago, says, I think you should homeschool. And... I said, well, see, I'm I, my, my circumstances don't allow for it. And she was she was trying to tell me, you know, if you would have started earlier, you know, reading to him and trying to play school with him, it would have been easier for me. But time was ticking and I had to enroll my son in public school. Now we're living through this coronavirus and living in this world now where things have drastically changed and are changing for us as a public almost every day it seems and I really really had to talk to her over the sun over this past summer and say you know what because of what's going on and the nature of what's going on I'm gonna take you up on what you've been trying to instilling me these last five years of bringing my baby home making him the ultimate priority as it pertains to his education and being as though he is still developing so who would be better than mom to come in and hold him and guide him and really work with him so she gave me some options and I began to register and stuff like that But I really want to know how many of us parents out there have had to reconsider this whole education thing. I mean, we do live in a world where the information that we receive at large, which is the crux of my show and this 
podcast and our platform that we are building together, which is the power of your mind, your thought, and where information comes from. And since we, since, you know, thought to me is the most precious thing, when you step back and look at education as a whole, this might be a good time to want to um, reconsider how you may go about educating your child. I am someone who is flexible when it comes to the notion of public education, private education, and homeschooling. I do not think that it should be a one-size-fit-all for everyone because certain circumstances yield certain results for certain people. I feel as though for me, because I can only speak for me, I don't want to push my belief on you. Rather, I just would like to stimulate thought within you. Um, I am someone who really thinks that this could be the best of times if we were using it wisely as it pertains to our children. Being as someone who does come from an African-American background, I feel as though this is a wonderful time for us because we live in a world where we live in a post uh, reconstruction period where during that time if you do your research the whole reconstruction period for a lot of us who are quote-unquote minority indigenous aboriginal and or native american a lot of our history was erased and a lot of what we've had to learn has become uh, a little watered down and a little tainted so it's always that's why i said in my last episode I'm someone who loves books because I like to take every bit of information and compile it the way I want to and get the nourishment from that book. And I feel as though when you're in school, you're subject to the curriculum that the school has. And we can jump down a rabbit hole of how even curriculums are started Uh, what those entail by age level and if you're at a public school private school if you're being homeschooled and you know where those dollars uh, from tax funds go to and how much those tax dollars really really matter and we're going to jump into that during our thought process of today why if you're going to vote and if voting matters that I am someone who champions local voting. We'll get to that. But um, continuing on, I feel as though this could be a really good time uh, for everyone, regardless of your race, nationality, or your place in life, your status in life. It's a really good time to step back and assess. Because while all of this is going on, If you look closely at what's going on, you'll see that we're playing musical chairs now with our money, with our health, um, just the way information is being disseminated now with the age of censorship. And I, I just want to harp on us as parents, as caretakers, or people who deal with children on an almost daily basis, whether they're yours, biologically yours or not. 
it's a really good time for us to hone in on the things that matter as it pertains to developing children um, in terms of their science, math, reading, and uh, spirituality. You can't leave that out. Um, And what we're feeding our children, uh, as they say, food for thought. Well, what is those fruitful things that you're giving them to think about? Because now some of some of the states, um, as I read, I read an article, I think from U.S. Today, and it stated that there was three categories of schooling. There's going to be schools that have opened up for the fall in person. Um, some of those states include Alabama, Florida, Texas, Utah, Vermont, um, and then there's some that are going to be hybrid, which is a little bit online, a little bit in person, and I think alternating days of the week. And those states are Hawaii, uh, New Jersey, New Mexico, North and South Carolina. And the rest of the states, um, they're letting their districts decide. Uh, and that would pertain to me here in Ohio as well, where my governor has told the children that they're going to be able to go online for I think the first nine weeks the ones who have yet to decide since that article was published at the end of July was Connecticut Delaware Maine and Minnesota they haven't come to a concrete solution as to what they're going to do and to me that is really really disheartening Given the status of our country, we've always been first. We've always been the best. We're supposed to be this bright country and supposed to have it all all together. And we see now in the middle of a crisis, um, not just a health crisis, but as, as a structure, this is a crisis. You have so many people have been laid off, fired, uh, small business owners, which I am one, uh, that have really had their businesses altered. Some of these businesses are not going to come back. And what does that look like now that it's school time? What are what are we going to do? You can't you haven't gotten that second stimulus check? I know that for those of us who applied for the SBA stuff, including the PPP and the uh, EIDL loan, uh, it was just a nightmare. It was just totally a nightmare. And, and in my personal thought, I feel as though those of us who needed the money or could have benefited from uh, our businesses being enhanced with those dollars, we never got it. We never got the money. So I just want to know, if you are someone who who has homeschool, how did it work for you? What are some things that you have to grow through with your child or children? Um, some things that you would change? If you are sending your kids back to school, why are you sending them back? Is it because they're accustomed to going to school? Is it because they have no choice but to go to school? And since I have volunteered with my son's school, um, are you a parent that supports your child's school? I don't, I'm not saying that 
And I'm not I'm not talking to those who just send their child to school. They don't know the teacher. They don't know the atmosphere or the culture of that school. I'm talking to those of us who are parents who know the school. We know the principal. We know the community that the school is in and how they interact not only with our child, but the success of your child's school. And if you're going to send them back during this time, um, what are some things that you expect out of the school now? Because if you are someone who has had a child in the public school system, I am always going to tell you to stay on top of the school, support your child's school, uh, volunteer if you can. That is means the world to the school if they're pro-parent you should always as a parent i mean mother father grandma grandpa i don't know anything outside of that but if you are one of those things a mother father grandmother or grandfather i feel as though it's your duty it's your duty as a family to champion your child's school support them you may not cannot do it every day in person for the whole six hours of the day i'm not saying that you should do that because that's not probably not your profession but those of us who can support your child's public school because they need it the teachers need it the children need it you see what's going on if you look at just the literacy level of our children today versus those uh who have lived to be 80 plus years old you see the difference you see that it's a totally different world some of our children are amazing gifted and talented and very literate and then there's those of us who have children who are struggling and i don't place the blame on schools 100 percent. i think that if your child is behind it is on you and the school and that's why I say if you if you are a parent who has a child in the public school system, no matter where you live at, it is your obligation to make a connection to your child's school. Don't wait until you just get the report card. And if it's good or if it's bad, that's the only time you talk to the school. No, no, don't do that. Hold these teachers accountable. And not only hold them accountable, hold your local school board accountable. And we're going to get into that when we get to the thought process of why I say local voting matters. But anyway, um, if this is going to be your first time around, to those of us who, like myself, this would be my first time having my child online um, for educational purposes, 100%. I feel as though as parents, if you can maintain it or swing it, it's time now to take control of our children's education. I know I just said that I support public schooling because I do, because it worked out for me. I am a product of the Cleveland Metropolitan School District. My college is Tri-C, one of the best uh, two-year colleges in the country. I always loved school because I loved books. I was the book club president of my high school. That's how much I loved books. 
but I had a support system when I went to school. I had teachers who uplifted me, molded me, shaped me, guided me. So I could never turn my back on the public school system because I lived in a district where I saw as I got older the things that they were trying to do. I remember when I when I came to Parent University, I had to a break. From going to college, I had lost my father around the same time I had my son 10 years ago. Don't want to get into it now, but just know that when he went back to school, I went back to school. And my son is my motivation for me even continuing on and getting my college degree. But I say that because when I came back to school or back to college, we had a wonderful program called Parent University, and that's exactly what it is. It was free. My college partnered with my child's school district, which he is an attendee of, and they allowed us to take a college course for free. So that once that course was over, all you had to do was register again for whatever semester was upcoming and you were a college student. There was no red tape. These people helped you from A to Z. Tri-C has some of the best, the best counselors that will hold your hand, show you what you need to do, get you the classes that you need, and so on and so forth. I love public schools, but public schooling only works if you as a caretaker or a parent is involved it's a two-way street we can't rely on well i gave my son or daughter to the school today they're gonna get their six to eight hours worth of school and that's that no you have to as a parent be involved and don't just stop there if you have children who have graduated high school and they're going to go into a two-year college or four-year university or a technical school You still got to establish a relationship. Just because they're a young adult don't mean that you stop being a parent. You still need to have a connection because if your child is a patron of a school, a technical school, or a four-year university, whether it's public or private or an HBCU, still establish a connection. Because we're living in a world now, like I said, everything is changing it's changing and some of us who are not technical savvy we don't use computers or smartphones or uh get so intricate with the internet and all that ain't no excuse no more because our children are dependent on us whether you have young children or young adults they're still counting on us to guide them education to me is very important now there are some of us who have mastered a skill or have a a a skill that is uh necessary for the time frame that we're in uh marketing trucking e-commerce uh computer coding um etc etc forex uh real estate some of our children are so gifted that they don't need to go to college And I understand that if your child can read, write, and do arithmetic, as the old school people would say, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And they may not need to go to higher education. But you as a parent have to guide them. You have to show them that whether you go to school or not, you still got to get 
some type of skill that's going to be necessary for the future that we're coming into with all this big technology. But I just want to know from you guys, um, what is your educational process going to be looking like over the next couple of months? You sending your child to school, that's wonderful. I commend you, but stay involved. Stay involved with your child's school. They need to know you. They need to have a presence. If you're somebody out there and you're a parent or a caretaker and you've never had the chance to introduce yourself, introduce yourself this fall. Let them know that you support them. You will be hearing from them. You do not have to necessarily go in person. Heck, all of us have been introduced introduced to Zendesk or Zoom or Google Duo or FaceTime more than we would like to in these last couple of months. Get used to it. It's the future and it's here. So you don't necessarily have to go to your child's school. You can get on a video chat and say, hey, how my child doing? What y'all in there doing? Do you need help? Do you need me to come and volunteer? Do it. If your child's school is doing a fundraiser, send them a few dollars. It could be a dollar. It could be $10. It could be $100. Send it to the child's school. They need that because they're not going to get it from uh, the government all the time. Especially if you live in the inner city and you're a working class parent. So you need to be involved. Not only do your your child's school need financial resources, they need human resources. That means you. Don't be afraid to say, hey, this is my child. I'm that child's parent. Don't see me often, but I'm here. Email them, send them a text. Um, when this all started, when the kids were taken out of the school, my, my son's teacher, I commend her. I'm not going to say her name because she's a private person. But um, my son's teacher did her best to keep in contact with me. She um, she did make available the Zoom sessions for the children. She did give me my child to log on information for the educational applications that they were using in school so that as my child was home with me, he could do the same thing. So I made my child read an hour a day online, whether he was reading to me or he was having a book read to him online, he was able to still participate. Um, Those of you who are online, thank goodness I'm at a college where We are online friendly. And this is before this coronavirus. I I think I've taken like five courses online. So I'm a master at Blackboard. No, I'm just playing. But um, if your child has had um, interactions with being online, are you going to support them as well? I think you should. Um, And if you're homeschooling for the first time, we got to do something. I'm coming over to the home side, the homeschool side of the table, and I'm excited. I'm a little overwhelmed because now that means that I have to hold myself accountable as I'm asking you guys out there to be accountable because, um, not because I'm not involved with my child, but more so, like I said, when he's in school, I would be in school. So when he was in school, I was down on campus at my school. So I needed those six hours away from him because I needed to have my instruction from my various professors. But now that he's online, my college has made it 
available to us that we can go online to. And I really appreciate that because uh, I probably would have had another stagnation in my edu- my own educational journey because uh, um, a child comes first. But I really want to finish and get my degree. So now I can be here to watch my child, support my child, and I can still get my education too because um, my college uses a blackboard so I can log in from my phone I can log in online on a laptop or computer and I will be just fine but those are my thoughts support our teachers support them they need to know that we as parents and caregivers support them they're supporting your child we say that our children are the future how they gonna be the future if we're not we're not making that connection with the people who are molding and shaping our future how are we going to do that so those are just some of the thoughts that i wanted to think through with you Hi guys and welcome back to the Think It Through podcast, the podcast that states there is no truth until you decide what truth is. So in this segment, I would like to stimulate thought around this controversial mail-in ballots versus in-person voting and the overall attack on the United States Postal Service. Now, I read an article online today. I want to say that it was from USA Today and I think the Washington Times. And what they were getting at was the fact that the president has, for a few weeks now, been saying how he was going to cut funding from the Postal Service. Now, this is an election cycle. And if you guys don't know that we're like 80 days away from casting our ballot and seeing um, how we want these next four years to look. And like I said, in my last episode, I went over the fact that I'm not a fan of how voting Uh, currently works under our current constitution and I went into it on that uh, particular episode you guys can go back and listen to it I don't want to rehash that but nonetheless the public will have their voices heard uh, this November and we're almost done with this circus y'all yeah we almost done almost done but we can't we can't not talk about the future of our postal service now what are we going to do are we are we going to support our postal service workers now as you are here if you stick around with the podcast long enough you will know that i will tell you and proudly tell you that i love my community i love my neighbors i know everybody on the street that i live on um and it's close to my son's school so i know everybody in that particular community as well i know everybody they name and they profession 
Um, and that's just because I've been living where I'm living at for the last 11 years. And I generally, I generally feel safe where I live at. And I've become accustomed to who my local trusted postal worker. I'm not going to give his name, but just know that I see him every day. And I think that these postal workers ought to be respected. Little did I know that they were federal workers. <laughs> I did not know that. But uh, we had, me and my local postman, we had this discussion last week. I said, what did he feel about the coronavirus? And I asked him, how did he feel about the elections? And he said, they having a hard time. And I could understand because um, these people... If you like me and you generally, I'm not saying you have to be buddy, buddy with your neighbors, but if you generally understand your neighborhood, you understand your neighbors, you may not even know their name, but you know their face, you know their habits, you know that if you see the little blue car outside that you know that Mr. Such and Such is home from work, or if you see uh, that little blue Honda uh, from down the street that's a little beat up you know that that's a new kid on the block and they're trying to make it and that little blue honda is all they got but you tend to know the habits of your closest neighbors and one of those neighbors should be your local postman or postwoman who delivers the mail every day now i feel a little bit of ways about it because these people rain sleet snow they still deliver mail to your house or your apartment complex wherever you may live at i live in a house where my my postal worker only has to go up four stairs he can ring my doorbell and i'll come to the front door i know my postal worker and i know his movements and his habits and generally i can pinpoint uh when he's going to be on the street um and i've had this this little relation with him and the previous uh, person um, who used to deliver the mail, which was a woman, um, I've had this relationship with the both of them for about five years now. So I know kind of the ins and outs of what they do and then not to mention my closest neighbor who I love. Uh, he's like the mayor of my street, my next door neighbor. Um, we gonna call him the mayor because that's what we know him as i'm not gonna give up his name but the mayor uh he himself he was a postal worker he is now since retired um so i feel i feel for our poster workers and i feel as though we got to put some respect on their name and their job and whatnot because no matter what you can count on these people to come and deliver your mail these people i mean we as a people we get mail we get pieces of mail we might get a card we might get a letter we might get heavy boxes and some of our elderly people or people who have chronic health issues you know that they get medicine and the only way that they can get medicine affordably is through the uh post office so i was reading this article and i just i just found it uh that our president was going ahead and uh you know having this 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 public tirade against them um what i found in my research is that uh the guy <laughs> and his name is let me pull it up 
His name is Mr. DeJoy. D-E-J-O-Y. And he is the head postman. His name is General, he, he is Postmaster General Louis DeJoy. Let me give that man some respect so that you guys can know who I'm talking about directly. Um, he, from the article that I read on US Today, that was today, um, he is a North Carolina businessman and a major Republican and Trump donor. Now, someone who studies political science to me as a registered independent voter i feel like this is a conflict of interest if i was president which i'm never going to run um i don't feel like big government is the answer and i don't think that as president our president should have the right to pick people that have given has given him money or given his party money when i think of government my ideal government is actually a meritocracy people who are put in position because of their skill not because of their status and or how much money they have um and just looking at this article and knowing that this man has according to the article has given about $360,000 to the Republican National Convention. Yet now that Trump is in office, this man is overseeing our postal service. Now, what stuck out to me reading this article, you guys, is that not only did he get at $360,000 to the Republican National uh, Convention, this is the first time in nearly two decades that this current postmaster general has not had a career as a postal employee. See, to me, as a independent voter, that strikes a nerve with me because this is about money. This is about control. This isn't about your particular skill set that would command your authority. This is more so a pay-to-play type of thing in my mind. And not only that, um, according to this article, it it alleges that uh, he has, I want to say... This man has done business with competing interests of the postal services. And since he's been in his position, this man has cut overtime hours. And he's also dramatically, according to the article, restructured the organization removing or reassigning nearly two dozen agency leaders according to the article from us today and this included displacing two of the top executives who saw day-to-day operations see people november ain't just about who's going to get to be president it's really about how are we going to change the system that we have I understand that we ought to be grateful um, that we live in America. 
I'm proud to be an American, but I also see that there's a lot of BS going on, for lack of better words. And this is the type of thing that in my mind, being a political science student, that you have to study and watch for and be ever vigilant about because if your vote matters, the way that we have been touted to believe and or come to respect, you have to demand more, more of a transparency between who's being appointed, who's being elected, because obviously, as we can see, you we voted for Donald. Now, I personally didn't vote for him, but nonetheless, he is the president of this country, and be it as such, he has made some drastic decisions that is is affecting everyone for good or for bad, however indifferent. And these are the types of nitty gritty things and thought pieces that really makes me ponder and think about the extension and connection to the ties that our leaders have. I'm all for a government that says you vote, this is what you get. I understand that perfectly. But in terms of our day-to-day livelihood, these are the things we have to watch for now. We have about 80 days, which is a little less than three months, to really get our act together so that we can put together the best America we can put together. This ain't about keeping America great. This ain't about making America great. This isn't about none of that. And this is not about party. This is about how do we restructure what we have? Because what we're having is a lot of deceit. What we have is a lot of bait and switch. Now I read an article that because of this whole debacle, uh, supposedly Donald has said that he's going to ease up off the United States Postal Service if the Democrats give him some concessions. Meaning that if you bend a little, I'll bend a little. But there shouldn't be no bending in this type of state that we're in. We're in an election cycle and going along in this strand of this uh, conflict that we have with the United States Postal Service is voting. How is that going to look? Now, some people are accustomed to voting in person. I am a proponent of voting in person just because I feel as though you inside of that booth is your voice is is your vote is your voice and if you're going to cast your ballot do so with your privacy and being in the moment and being in that district that you live in or the jurisdiction that you live in at the ward level and casting your ballot and really cementing your energy to the community that you're in by placing your ballot ballot for the man or woman who you deem acceptable to represent your interests. I do not tout mail-in voting, uh, mail-in ballot. Uh, I think I did a absentee ballot. Um, I'll find good and dandy. But I like to be there amongst people. 
Uh, I like, like I said, cause I like to talk. I like to, I like to stimulate thought within other people and I want to know what you think. I want you to fill me out, um, intellectually. And you know that that's the basis of community networking. Um, just so that you know, your neighbors, you know, your community and all of that good stuff. Now you have some Democrats who are pushing for this whole, well, let's mail in, um, our ballots let's just have it be convenient we got this coronavirus we don't want nobody to quote unquote get sick um we don't want none of that just let these people vote from the comfort of their home heck they already at home so why not just let them vote i understand that too now here's the thing that i'm against i'm against weaponizing our vote and that's the the thing that i want us listeners out there to um come in to think about because or to think it through on is the notion of you can mail in your vote or you can go to vote we should not have what's going on now where we're weaponizing us and our vote essentially weaponizing the voters against their own party or across party lines. That is what we have to stop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Think It Through podcast, the podcast that states there is no truth until you decide what truth is, and we're here to help you think it through. So our thought process for today, piggybacking off of the previous episode of If Voting Matters, if it matters, then I will be the first one to cheer and champion local voting. Why is that important? Well, if you know where you live at down to the ward level, that is going to have more immediate effect on you than who the president is. If you study politics and the nature and makeup of the structure of our current government, you also have to understand you have your state. Your state and its laws is going to heavily impact you before anything at the federal level. So being as though I am a resident of the state of Ohio, and be it as it may, come November, all 16 congressional seats that make up my state is on the ballot. And this is where... I will hone in and champion for you, the listener, wherever you're located at, to know the ward that you live in, because that is the first step in civic participation, if you choose to participate. If you don't know what's going on around you, then trying to comprehend the circus that is the national government really would be adverse to you because you're not even aware of what's going on in a community where it can affect affect you more quickly than anything in DC. So 
I will champion to you. Know your war. Know the, the, the demographics and the makeup of your community because that's going to give you the best insight of how your ward is thinking and what it needs. See, you might live in a community where you live in a predominantly elderly community, meaning that most of your elders are baby boomers or retired. So the needs that they have that should be accounted for and given consideration or thought about is their retirement fund, their pension, their their social uh, security, things like that. That matters to them. And if you are a voter, take into an assessment of that. Now, if you live in a ward that's up and coming, you have investment and development happening, and you have a younger crowd, where for those of us who are millennial entrepreneurs, the things that matter to us may not necessarily be retirement. We're looking at things based on education. We're looking at things based on living, working wage. We're looking at things based upon health care. And just me saying health care, those things should coalesce and coincide with the elder community because health care is always going to be on the table. That's something that we should all consider and be thoughtful of as we age and progress in life. But if you don't know the makeup of where you live at, then you may be overlooking the majority of the population that you live in. Also, can't talk about age if we're not going to talk about ethnicity. I'm sorry, we gotta be inclusive. We live in a time now where some of us live in a majority war where the ethnicity might be overwhelmingly Caucasian or white. And we have wards that are majority African American. And we have this whole debate now on reparations. Should we get them? Uh, Should we take into account of that? And that is just a topic for another show. But I want to state that when you take into an assessment of where you live at, assess everything. Because you and the information that you're armed with, that's going to make you the best civic participant there is, especially when it comes to voting. Now, we're voting now because it's 2020 and it is a general election, meaning that we get to participate in who we think we want to be president. There's going to be another election in two years. We got to start thinking about it now. This is why the voting on the local level is so necessary because you need to see where your candidates are coming from. Are these people who just decided, hey, I'm going to go ahead and get out here and be a candidate. Have these people been in your community? Have they done community organizing? Have they done grassroots campaigning? Have they stood up 
and said something on your behalf or on your community's behalf where you have a track record that you can go on. Now, see, the I'm not for Donald Trump or against him. I don't have a dog in that fight because when you learn about big politics, meaning national politics, you're going to find that money is the name of the game. I'm sorry that you may have not known that or it hasn't been brought to your consciousness or awareness, but that's the truth. If you don't have enough money to participate, then you can you can hang up whatever list or agenda that you have this is why i'm a proponent of let's champion local vote local voting or local civic participation even if you still don't vote that don't mean you can't support your local community organizer that does not mean you have to turn your back on let's say your child's school education board that don't mean turn your back on them you need to know who those people are because they are shaping your local government your mayor where does your mayor come from how did your mayor get to be mayor or on the ballot or even thinking about running even if it's a first time candidate You need to know those things so you can scrutinize those things. When there's a town hall or something like that, that can be had, check it out. Go to one. If you live in a ward where your local councilwoman or man has made it public notice that they're having a town hall meeting. Now, I live in a ward where I, I knew my previous representative or city councilman I know of the current one I'm not going to say that I am pro my city councilman that represents my ward and I'm not going to say that I don't but just know that where you live at it matters you should be able to go online in your local county and bring up your local councilman or woman and they should have a schedule that you can abide by. Don't go to just the public meeting, go to the one where they're talking about money, investments, and who is getting the big contracts because that's where we fall asleep at the wheel at because none of us who are average working men and women or students, we're not there to give our opinion to be vigilant to say we support something or don't support something. We have to take back our government at the local level because if you control your mayor, if you control city council, if you control for some of us who live in a a county that has a commission meaning that there are several people who are county commissioners who have a job and duty to carry out the needs and the progress of a whole county. You need to know who those people are too. Where did they come from? Have you ever heard of these people? How long have they been living in the community that they say they serve or want to serve? You got to know that so that we don't have another Cuyahoga County. Now, 10 years ago, 
my county was in the news because they the the some of the the people that we elected were all corrupt from the judges to the uh, county clerk to the 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 monies that were being exchanged between um the elected officials partners and cronies and who was getting contracts and all of that see that happens when we're not paying attention that can only happen when we're not paying attention so if you think you if we can't even control where we live at we we surely cannot control the office of the president so just be mindful be mindful of where you live at and the demographics that encompass where you live at and be thoughtful of the goings on and the needs of your community because I may live in a community where healthcare is a problem and that's problem number one or issue number one that our community would like clarity on you may live in a community where problem number one or issue number one is education maybe you live in a war where it's so bad that the dropout rate is sky high and no elected official is talking about that then it's time for us to step up as a people and demand that those issues find a remedy where we as a people are participating in that process. Now, some some of us, we don't like voting. And I respect that. Because to me, voting only works in tandem with group economics. You may say, Alicia, where, where, where's group economics coming from? Check out a book by Dr. Claude Anderson called Powernomics and understand how many times money leaves certain communities and look at those communities in comparison to how many times money circulate in correlation to the progression of said community if we don't spend local we don't vote local then your community is suffering And you can say goodbye to the mom and pop stores. You can say goodbye to homegrown boots on the ground representatives. You make way for Amazon to come in and tear down your local mall. You make way for a Whole Foods to pop up over the... Uh, city co-op that you had or the community co-op that you had that can only happen when we're not paying attention and we're not being inclusive and we're not checking and, and doing a thorough check on the people that we're trying to represent that can only happen when we're not paying attention community partners are important who you bank with is important. Those community partners may have a bigger voice because they are a group that is designated or supposed to be designated on your behalf to champion your issues. 
this is how you have local unions this is how you have local voter registration clubs things of that nature we gotta start supporting the community partners who say they serve us many of us don't participate at a local level so you don't know what your community partner is doing now this can be the for where i live at i'm going to use me as an example um where i live at we have the league of women voters we have the cadell detroit sureway um we have the cleveland foundation we have uh the urban um what is it called the Urban League Cleveland chapter. Of course, we have the NAAA, uh, the NA, NAACP um, Cleveland chapter. We have a lot of community partners who are willing to champion policies on our behalf. But a lot of us don't support. We don't donate. We don't sign up for the newsletter. We don't volunteer for the newsletter. We don't. We don't show up to the meetings. This is why we're we're our communities is slipping into um, negativity because we're we're not getting one we're not getting the information and then two we're not actively engaging with those community partners. See, we can criticize the civil rights movement, which in my opinion should have been called the human rights movement, but that's a discussion for a different podcast. But the one thing that the civil rights movements of the 60s had together and down packed was the fact that they were organized. They were organized because they were able to disseminate information via community partners. In this case, it was SNCC. It was, it was the Southern Leadership Christian something something it was it was pastors and rabbis and different thought leaders coming together to say you know what racism is wrong you you know what we need to get together and we need to go ahead within our own networks and say you know what we need to stand up and say something that's how you got the march on washington even in today's time with Minister Honorable Louis Farrakhan, what he did with the Million Man March, the first one back in the 90s. The reason why that was able to happen was because he was able to network within his own community and say, you know what, we need to come together as men and we need to atone for our transgressions. Whether you like him or don't like him or think he's anti-Semitic or anything, the notion that he was organized and had people that supported him to be organized, that is what you should take away from him. Rather than what you see or misinformation that you may see about him, do am I pro uh, Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan? No. Am I against him? No. I don't have a thought one way or the other about him because, like I said, I like to see both sides of the picture so that I have a clear picture. 
do I support everyone who was a part of the civil rights? Maybe, maybe not. Were there things that could have been done different? Yes, there could have been things that could have been done differently. But that's not um, what I want you to think on or have a thought process on. I'm referencing those two movements based upon the fact that they were organized. They were committed to a cause and they saw it through. Our cause for today should be the unification of civic participation. That's what we need to unify around, given the structure that we have today. That is what we should be championing, is let's figure out some ways, that's uh, uh, some tools that we can use on our own, whether we're Republican or Democrat. Now, there's a quote by... George Washington, and it states, pull it up here, the alternate domination of one faction over another, natural to party dissension, itself is a frightful despotism, despotism, and I agree with that, this whole less, less, fight each other because we're Republican or Democrat or Democrat versus Republic Republican that in itself should come to a close because we see now that there's corruption that's running rampant in both parties this is why you have to go back to the local level and get the local level together if you clean up your own backyard then America's backyard at large will be better. Going along with the notion of voting local and supporting community partners who say that they represent you or would like to represent you, you also got to bank local too. See, in my mind, voting can only work when you're putting your money where your vote is. If you do that, you'll come to find that you can move mountains. See, we all think that we're supposed to vote, but if you don't if you don't financially support those that you say you want to represent you, then there's a disconnect. We have to we have to financially support those who want to represent us, represent us because we already know that you can buy an election. We already know that you can you can you can buy an office. But what stops that is when we as a community learn how to participate in group economics. Learning how we can best show our interest with what we're financially supporting you can't say that you want a local co-op or grocery co-op to come back but yet you spend all of your money with larger grocery chains that's defeating the whole purpose 
You can't say that you want community policing, but yet you allow for your local police department to eat up an average of more than uh, 50% of a city's budget. And then you get mad when your police officers shoot unarmed citizens, both black and white, and then there is no there's no recourse for it. Why? Because you you are actively supporting financially the same people who are running on these ballots to serve you. You're spending money with the very interest that is out to destroy you. This is why we can't get we, we shouldn't get caught up in national politics because that's a whole can of worms within itself also understand this and i'm and and i'm gonna rub some people the wrong way understand that is not my intention my intention is to get you to think higher understand that the president is selected by the house of representatives and the vice president is selected by the Senate. Understand that and get into that. That's why I said on my last show, as I bring this thought process to a close, you should read Fruit from a Poisonous Tree by author Melvin Stamper, who is a Juris Doctorate, meaning that he was a judge. Read this book and some of the topics that you will find that this judge is trying to convey is the Patriot Act versus the Bill of Rights, how the Constitution was set aside during the Civil War and has never been in effect since, Um, how basically most of the things that we own actually belongs to the Federal Reserve in which the Federal Reserve is not even owned by our government. But you can read about that in a a book called Creature from Jekyll Island. It's very popular, and you can probably get it uh, wherever books are sold. But understand, civic participation is necessary so that our votes are not weaponized against us and we as voters are not weaponized against one another from outside influences don't matter who you want to vote for because I'm never going to tell you who I'm voting for because that's not that's not my job to do my job is just to only be here to help you think it through Think about what you want to do. Think about the government that you would like to see and how it could be successful. My only thing that I will express to you is that I believe in a meritocracy. I mean that I believe in a society where if you're going to participate in government, it should be based upon upon your skill set. And if your skill set and you've been someone who has been a lawyer or an attorney or something like that yes you should be able to represent the best 
issues and champion fairness for your community. Yes, you should be able to do that. I believe that if you're someone who's good with money, you should be, uh, and you're fair with money, you should be able to represent the office of treasury because you've demonstrated over a lifetime that you've managed money, accounted for money, and you were transparent in doing so. I don't think that if you're a reality star and you've had multiple businesses, some have failed, some have done good, and then you become president, especially if you don't understand the ins and outs of politics at large. Doesn't mean that your mindset may not be good, but from what we're experiencing, and this is not an attack on Donald, this is a critique of his frame of reference and the people that he has appointed and selected to help represent this country. This is an awesome insight into what we should take with us to the ballot box come November. Understand that every choice has a reaction to it. And you have to be mindful of what you're voting for and who you're voting for. I want to leave you guys with this. And that is some books. I'm always going to try to leave you with a book if I can or if the episode calls for it. I want to leave you with a book called The Most Dangerous Superstition by Larkin Rose. I think that's something that you you should really read if you want to get an eye-opening into political thought. I also would like to leave you with Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes and conspiracies and cover-up in American politics. I think that these are some books that you should try to look into because it will guide your frame of reference in terms of what's going on. Because, like I said, if we don't pay attention to what's going on, we're going to be doomed to repeat the same mistakes that we've been having uh, for the last couple of decades. And that, if we want to change, we got to change now. We have to change now. And just to give you a little, a little, the one last book that I'll give you that can give you a little bit of insight to me and how I think, because I am a political scientist, uh, because I am a student of political science, is a book called The Great Political Theories, edited by Michael Curtis. That book is an insight to different political thought processes. And I think that in order for us to, to be good stewards of our communities, we have to get into inclusiveness of different thought patterns 
and different ideologies so that we can formulate a truth. Like I said, there is no truth until you decide what truth is. But on the flip side of that, you may not be getting the truth because you haven't explored different thought processes and different forms of thought. Voting local matters if you think that voting matters. And with that, I want to say thank you for listening. I hope you stick around for what we're building because this is going to be our platform. And I want to be able to think it through with you. Until next time, have a wonderful day.